It's time for News Talk 720 KDWN's Ask the Expert Hour. Have a question? Call now, 702-257-KDWN. That's 702-257-5396. Good morning and welcome to Ask the Experts. My name is Brian Black. I'm here talking to Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Brian. How was your weekend? Had a great weekend. It was a little short, <clears throat> wasn't it? Is it just me? Yeah. It was very short for me. It, it went by so fast. It, when you're having fun, it's it's good. It is good. I, I made the mistake. Um, I um, well, I wouldn't say it was a mistake. For my wife's birthday, I gave her tickets to go see Andrea Bocelli Ooh, at the um, at the MGM Grand. Uh, unfortunately, the, the the show was completely sold out, and it's NFR weekend, and so the just the line to get through the casino was just packed and I, I I thought I was going to go insane actually because it took probably longer to, to walk out of the venue than it did to sit and watch the show it was but it was it was a good show well I'm sure it was he, <laughs> he does a great job so um, <clears throat> we're here today talking about planning as we always do Brian a Lowe and Associates is an expert in my opinion on the in the area of estate planning and last week we talked about special needs planning uh, something that uh, everybody if you have someone in your life that does require a certain type of medical attention that is outside the norm or if you have someone who is going to require special care that is uh, needs to be constantly maintained after your passing or even even in your absence um, there's something that's always on your mind but a lot of people don't know exactly how to handle that situation and uh, last week we talked about different ways to plan and we're going to continue today talking about special needs planning by by maybe starting out putting your putting yourself in the the shoes of someone who has someone in their life maybe a minor uh, who needs that special needs planning because if I'm if I'm not mistaken there's different things that you have to do for a minor for an adult and for uh, someone past the age of 60 is that correct after 65 there are a little different rules yes so if you have a minor in your care that needs a special attention who is uh, for instance receiving Medicaid what do you have to do to plan for their uh, care if in the you know the unlikely event of your passing okay now you, your scenario you say it's a person under 18 he's receiving Medicaid well uh, when a person's under 18 met the Medicaid system looks at the income of the family okay and so once the income of the family gets above a certain level then they are no longer eligible for Medicaid. So mm -hmm. a lot of children under 18 are knocked off of Medicaid because of the income that their father or mother or whatever is, is bringing into the household. Okay, well, that makes sense. So yes. is, is that something that you can... Um Remedy, or is that something that you just uh, you know? Is there is there a way to to receive benefits that you're entitled to um, without? I don't know. Is there some? Is there a way to do that? Well, generally, Medicaid being a uh, a uh, program for the indigents, mm -hmm. it's a welfare program. That so, if your level of income is low, right, then you may be eligible. But when you're under eighteen, they also take into account the family income okay so sometimes when there is a child who has long-term needs they may have been in an accident mm -hmm. they may have had some malpractice uh, performed against them right they may have some inheritance that is coming into their life 
and now all of a sudden they receive these these assets. Okay. But they are not receiving Medicaid at that time. Okay. And some people say, well, they've got this money. We'll go ahead and spend it on them and do all these things. Mm -hmm. And the next thing you know, they turn 18. Now the family income is no longer included because once they reach age 18, it's their income. Right. It's not the household income. So they reach a different level. So sometimes what we need to do is we need to plan early when when a youth let's say gets a certain amount of income because of some settlement or mm -hmm. whatever inheritance and put that away into some kind of a special needs trust which will be available to them after the age of 18 okay so it it becomes a planning thing so that maybe they will be will have some kind of medicaid assistance after 18 but for the fact that they have too much money right so you have to plan early and you know some people try to plan around their uh, uh the fact that they're always going to take care of their children right well they they get older the children get older the parents pass away now who takes care of those children exactly and so a plan needs to be put together earlier with the with the child's money let's say the inheritance or the settlement mm -hmm. in such a way that they will have special needs uh taken care of later on when medicaid may step up into the end of the picture right and take care of their medical per, uh, needs right because and things aren't always going to remain the same. They could get worse. That is correct. And sometimes parents will say, well, when, when I die, my oldest child will step in, in and take over the assistance of their, of their sibling. Mm -hmm. But that's a presumption. And, and when you say, well, my, my oldest child will do it, maybe that oldest child has been doing it for many years during that oldest child's um, years right. of living. And now as they grow up, there are other people that come into their lives. There can be spouses, there can be their own children, there can be financial needs, there can be a lot of things that happen. So the, the uh, siblings of, let's say, a special needs individual, they won't be there. And so you really need to plan early if if there is any money to plan with right to take care of this special needs child and you know and even if that's that uh, sibling is going to step up why wouldn't you make it as easy as possible for them to just you know what i'm saying even if they can be there in some aspects why wouldn't you plan right that's right. So when we return to Ask the Experts, if you have a question for Brian Lowe, give us a call at 702-257-5396. That's 702-257-5396. We're going to go a little bit deeper into caring for a minor with special needs and planning for their future. We'll be right back. Now back to Ask the Experts on News Talk 720 KDWN. This morning, we're talking to Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates. If you have a question for Brian about your estate planning, give us a call at 702-257-5396. This morning, we're talking about special needs planning and uh, 
One thing that we touched on just a moment ago I'd like to revisit is special needs planning for a child under the age of 18. And uh, what Mr. Lowe had told us was that, you know, it's it's unlikely that your child, unless your entire family is in what is known as an indigent state, it's, it's, it's unlikely that your child is receiving Medicaid if your child is a special needs child because the entire family's income is uh, considered in that equation. But what happens if you're not there for that child and that child uh, becomes an adult and we're talking about someone who in many likely circumstances is not going to be able to work and support themselves? What do you do then? And we were talking about planning in advance. And um, one of the things that we can talk about is life insurance, for instance. If you have a... um, a child under the age of 18 that you know is going to need long-term care and you're worried that when you're gone someone is not going to be there to provide for that long-term care but you don't want to jeopardize their potential governmental benefits by leaving them a bunch of money what can you do well as you mentioned uh, life insurance oftentimes people who have special needs children will uh, if they do not have the resources themselves to take care of their children in perpetuity, mm-hmm. uh, they will acquire life insurance and have the beneficiary of that life insurance go into a uh, supplemental needs type of a trust that will take care of that child when, after the child starts, uh, reaches age, eight, age 18 and moves on into the next part of their life. And it may go on forever. I mean, right. some of these disabilities that people have and children have are are um, ones that will bring about uh, uh, death sooner in life. Mm-hmm. Their mortality is, is very short. Mm-hmm. And so they may want to plan around that. Some people say, well, I have enough money to take care of them for as long as they need care. But they are saying, well, maybe the government's going to take care of them. Right. Well, the government may not have the same programs tomorrow as they have today because of the financial, the fiscal problems that the government is in and people saying that we need to cut back. We don't know if the same programs are going to be in existence in the future right. for some of your children or those that have traditionally needed long-term care. So they will need to do some planning and maybe life insurance. As long as you're alive, maybe you'll use your own funds to take care of them. But once you die, that source of income is is cut off. And so there's no one there to take care of them. So maybe you would leave a life insurance policy being uh, put into a, a supplemental needs type of trust, which is not an available asset for Medicaid purposes, right. but still enough funds there to provide supplemental needs or even sufficient funds to pick up the burden if Medicaid will not be there or they will cut back on the benefits of the child. So, you know, as it bears repeating, as we've uh, stated on the show many times before, um, in this medical situation, Medicaid is not going to pay for your medical bills if you have enough money to pay for them on your own. Um, and there are certain, uh, there's, there's, there's a code that, that states exactly what that means. And everything that we talk about here on Ask the Experts with Brian A. Lowe and Associates, what we're not talking about, we're talking about operating within 
the letter of the law. That is correct. Everything that we're talking about is 100% legal. It is 100% ethical. It is 100% exactly what the government wants you to do in order to qualify for Medicaid. And they allow for certain exemptions, like, for instance, uh, when somebody is in this situation. If you have a, a someone who is going to be, reach the age of maturity at the age of 18, and they're unable to work, and they are unable to bring in an income on their own, Medicaid wants to take care of those people. But what would they don't want to happen is... Well, what you don't want to happen is if you leave them a life insurance policy and it goes straight into a bank account and then suddenly Medicaid will not pay for their benefits and they're considered to have plenty of money and so therefore they're on their own. That could happen. <clears throat> and uh, uh, there are two types of uh, supplemental uh, needs planning. One is where, where the resources of a third party is being used to give assistance to that uh, special needs individual. Mm -hmm. The other is where the special needs individual has the money. Right. So if the special uh, needs individual has the money, then there that's called a first party uh, special needs trust. And any monies that go into that trust upon the death of the special needs individual has to pay back the government for any assistance that the government provided during that child's lifetime. Which could add up to quite a bit of money. That is correct. With a third party special needs trust, you're putting it into trust. It never becomes the property of the special needs person. Mm -hmm. And so you can use, I mean, have that special needs individual receiving benefit, but the money in the trust never becomes theirs. And so the money in the trust is never an available asset for Medicaid purposes. Right. And the special needs trust can provide all these benefits for them uh, during their lifetime. And then at the end of the day, rather than paying back anything that Medicaid had been providing for them during their lifetime, it would go to the beneficiaries that you would uh, spell, spell out in the trust because it still is not the special needs child's portion. And th these things could be, um, you know, they're, they're just the things that aren't covered with Medicaid. When we're talking about the supplemental needs trust for the, from the third party, uh, you know, it could be a color television, you know, something that it could be a car. Uh, it could be, it could be, there are, there are certain things that are allowed to be provided from this third party that will not impact the, uh, the Medicaid benefits, but there are things that would not be available if that trust wasn't in place. That's true. And it could even be a care manager. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if your child is going to be institutionalized or your parent is going to be institutionalized and they are sitting in an institution where right. they are wearing a diaper mm -hmm. and, you know, now all of a sudden their their diapers are being changed two or three times a day mm -hmm. and the people at the center are getting a little upset and so they start you know considering this individual a problem person they like to avoid them right and now they have no one coming in on them checking to make sure that their care is being taken care of etc so oftentimes a special needs trust will provide someone that will be a care manager that will come in and look and make sure that their needs are being taken care of by Medicaid. Right. Um, and then there will be funds also for special needs, like you say, maybe a television or something to put in their room or whatever so that they do not have uh, uh, to go without 
some things that make make life comfortable for us. So it, it seems to me that when we're talking about a supplemental needs trust, just like in all the trusts that we've talked about over the, the past several weeks here on Ask the Experts with Brian A. Lowe and Associates, what you're doing is you are planning to take care of someone in the same way or as close to the same way as possible as you would take care of them in life. And so what this trust does is that it allows you to spell out exactly what you want to happen after you're gone. And um, instead of putting somebody at the mercy of the system or at the mercy of somebody else's idea of how they should be cared for. Is that correct? That is correct. So um, when we're talking about... um, somebody with a with a special need who is going to reach the age of maturity and then they become an adult um there there you know there's a lot of years ahead of that um equation they they could live a normal life and and normally in our society uh, the, the uh actuaries say that the average lifespan now is about 87 years that's what you need to plan on and you have a child that's uh, 17 years of age that child could have another 70 years of life. Exactly. And, and well, and it might be something that they need to be taken care of. They still need, they, you know, they still can't provide for their own medical care, but they, they're still alive. They're still, they still need the benefit. That's correct. And, you know, it, it, sometimes it's just the loneliness of being alone. Mm-hmm. And if you have a special needs trust, you can provide that there are funds so that they can get together with family or that they can uh, uh, go to sporting events or do something that mm-hmm. outside of just being put into a room and and uh, uh, kept kind of a lockdown, you know? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, and, and honestly, you know, like you said, welfare, I mean, excuse me, Medicaid is a welfare program. And so, therefore, it's really, it's, it's, a, it's what's considered an acceptable minimum, you know? I mean, they're not going to pay for, for benefits. You know, they're not going to pay for extras. They're paying for what's necessary. Um, and so, therefore, if you want those extra things, I, I think it's very interesting that you said um, that paying for the costs of getting together with family. And that is absolutely something that's not going to be paid for in any other way if you don't plan for it. That is correct. Especially if you've got family from out of state or even, you know, even it doesn't really necessarily matter out of state. It could be the other side of town. I mean, uh, you know, if you can't drive, the other side of town is just as far away from as anywhere. And you need to plan for loneliness. I, when I think in it, how I would feel, I think some being lonely sure. is probably one of the worst things that a person can feel. And, and some of these special needs uh, children uh, can be put in situations where they are lonely. And so this planning sometimes helps them and helps you create an atmosphere where they won't feel this loneliness throughout their entire life. That's very, very interesting to me. Now, are there certain things that you can do in, in specific uh, to plan against that? Yes, you mentioned the life insurance. I think life insurance, uh, putting it into a special needs trust is an excellent way of of, uh, uh, providing for this at a very low cost. If you buy the life insurance on your own life while you're still young and Mm -hmm. and, uh, then when you die, the the monies will be there. Um, Another thing is, I mean, some, some parents, they say, well, Medicaid is going to take care of it, so I'm not going to give anything in trust or any other way to this special needs child because I know that the government's going to take care of them. But the problem is, is we don't know that the government is going to take care of them for a long period of time. So we need to provide some 
way of taking some of their inheritance that they should be receiving and putting it into a situation where that they can be taken care of. When we return, we'll talk more with Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates about special needs trusts. If you have a question for Brian Lowe, give us a call at 702-257-5396. We'll be right back. Now back to Ask the Experts on News Talk 720, KDWN. Welcome back. We're talking to Brian A. Lowe, Brian A. Lowe and Associates. If you have a question for Mr. Lowe, give us a call at 702-257-5396. We're talking about special needs trusts. And so far in the program, we've been talking about taking care of uh, the future needs of a minor child with special needs. But let's just flip the equation a little bit right now. Uh, when we're talking about, what if we're talking about someone... On the older end of the scale, whether we're talking about a spouse or whether we're talking about a parent, uh, planning for those people um, with special needs who might require extensive care. We were off the air talking about a couple of different examples of this. Um, uh, for instance, an Alzheimer's patient um, might be in 100% perfect physical health. And so they do require special attention 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but they might live a long and healthy life. And what if you're not there to take care of them? Uh, what's what's what are the differences between taking care of someone? We've talked about uh, taking care of someone as they turn 18. What about the person who's about to turn 65? Well, at age 65, <clears throat> the whole the whole thing changes. <clears throat> Before they're 65, they can, in fact, they can't themselves individually mm -hmm. under the law. They cannot create a trust a a special needs trust for themselves. So right. Someone else has to set it up, even though it's the money of the special needs person that is being used. Mm -hmm. And so a guardian, a the court, um, uh, a parent, mm -hmm. a grandparent, they can establish a trust using that individual's money and they can put that money into a, a first-party trust. It is a first-party trust right. because it's the, the, the special needs person's money that is being used to fund the trust. Or they can establish a third-party trust. They can take some of their own money, mm -hmm. and maybe there are members of the family that would also like to participate in this, but they don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. They've got this special needs person in their will saying, well, I want $50,000 to go to special needs person. Right. Well, the minute they get that money, now all of a sudden it be, they're no longer eligible for Medicaid right. unless Medicaid gets, gets paid back or it's set up in, into a first-party trust. And in a first-party trust, at the end of the day, Medicaid gets paid back for everything they put in. So by establishing a third-party trust, then different members of the family can put money into this third-party trust, supplemental needs trust, for the benefit of that individual, and it can, be, it can take care of these, these individuals who have those special needs. You know, it's interesting that you said... Um when you, if you have family members who want to help but don't know how, and I believe that that's something that comes up in a lot of these situations where, you know, you want to take care of grandma, you want to take care of, of your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, whoever it is, but what does that mean exactly? Does that mean uh, getting on the phone every time a bill comes in the mail, or does it mean planning in advance so that you can these things can be taken care of in the proper way and take advantage of, of the, the exceptions in the law 
and also take advantage of, of what you're able to provide for that person as well. Um, and an important differentiation there is uh, something that you mentioned earlier about the difference between a first party and a third party trust. Uh, and I just wanted to, to point this out because it's, we've mentioned it before on this show, and I think uh, it's, it's very important. In a first party trust, you told me just a minute ago that when when it, when that trust runs out, say for instance, you provide for the care for uh, a, a a child of yours, and that person was to pass away, then all of the money in that trust goes to the government to pay back Medicaid, correct? Up to the amount that government helped them, yes. But in the event of a third party trust, for instance, if you decided if you have two children, one of whom is a special needs child. And you set up a third-party trust for that person, and that trust does its job, and it takes care of them as long as they need to be taken care of. But at the end of the day, they do pass away. What happens to the money in that third-party trust at that time? In the trust, you spell out who is to receive those funds at the, at the death or whatever the contingency is mm-hmm. uh, on that person who needs special needs. Now, the difference between a first-party trust and a third-party trust, though, is on a first-party trust, it's the special needs individual's money that is being used to fund that. Right. So they are expected to pay that back out of their own funds. A third-party trust is where third parties are now contributing into a trust for the special needs of that individual, and those monies will be there. And when the special needs person dies, then... You spell out the grantor of the trust, the mm-hmm. provider, the creator, whatever you want to call the, <clears throat> the trustor. That money will flow to whoever you spell out in the trust. And it could it could then you know the remainder of the money could go to other members of the family that or is to a, you know another different or maybe even into another trust for another purpose. That is correct. So you know it's. It's, it seems complicated, and it is complicated. It's something that you need to talk to a lawyer about because it's, it's not something that you can just download off the web and just fill that in the blanks. Um, what are the advantages of, of coming to see you? I mean, it, does it cost anything? The, the initial consultation is, is free. Okay. And so at that time, we're able to talk to them a little bit about the law. Mm-hmm. Find out what their situation is or the, the situation of the special needs individual, <clears throat> whether that uh, <clears throat> excuse me, special needs individual has money or if, if uh, third parties are trying to fund and, and give them assistance. Mm-hmm. And then we spell out a plan and give them some feel for the cost of that plan. And then they have the facts. They then can make the decision. They may make the decision, well, right now I don't want to do it. Right. You know, they're still in good health and I'm in good health. We've got time. The, they may say, well, let's get it done as soon as we can because we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Mm-hmm. Let's get it done now. Some people may say, well, now that I know, I don't really care what happens after right. I die. I'm going to be gone. Who really cares after I die, you know? And so they say, no, forget it. And they don't make any plans for these special need ones, uh, individuals who uh, are their children, their, their relatives, 
even friends sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and, and a lot of people, I don't think they have a clear idea. I think one thing that you might be able to provide some perspective on is they don't have a clear idea of what's going to happen after they die. If they think that they're like, oh, well, the government's going to take care of it or, oh, well, you know, I'm leaving them some money, so it's okay. So what you can do is you can provide them, like I say, some perspective on, well, you know, hey, I've, I've dealt with a case like this in the past and this is what happened. And most people that come in, uh, strangely enough, they will generally say, uh, I don't want to give anything to special needs child. Really? Be- yes, because if I do, they're going to lose their Medicaid benefits, and I just want to leave the whole responsibility on Medicaid. But Medicaid doesn't provide all the little s- special needs for them. Right. The, the care, the managers, the uh, different provision for them to be able to live as meaningful a life as as you would like and so you just they leave them nothing and sometimes it comes as a shock to them to find out that they could in fact leave a portion of their estate into a special needs trust for the benefit of that child when they die uh, that will not be an accountable asset for medicaid purposes and provide supplemental needs for them for their lifetime. And, you know, I'm sure that there's a, a whole laundry list of things that you wouldn't think of, like we talked about earlier, is if you want if you want your child to have a television, who's going to provide that television? If you want the, your child to be able to be transported around when, when they need to be transported somewhere, how is that going to happen? And, and there's, you know, once again, it's all about planning. You know, it's, it's not enough to say, oh, well, you know, you know, Bobby will take care of that. My oldest son, he'll take care of that. Well, how is he going to take care of that? Will he be able to afford it when the time comes? Will he have the time to do it when the time comes? Is he going to have other responsibilities that will prevent him from doing it? And those are things that you have to address on the front end, right? That's right. And sometimes uh, the best laid plans don't always work out. So, you know, you you plan, well, my oldest child is going to be the uh, person who's going to take care of their sibling. But now they're married, they have children, et cetera, and they want to live their lives. They, they spend a number of uh, years in their own life taking care of the special needs child, but now they have their own responsibilities they want to move on. Well, and, uh, you know, and it could be something that, uh, you know, you get a job offer across the country, you know. That's right. You might not even be here. You can't be here. You, you, know, there's, you know, there's definitely something, you know, for instance, we live in a military town. You could get transferred. You know, there's, there's just a hundred different scenarios that you can't predict. And, and if you were able to set up this planning well in advance, then you might be able to at least predict the most likely ones. And you can do the planning. You, you make the decision. Well, I tell you what, if you'd like to give uh, Brian A. Lowe a call and make an appointment with him, their number there at the office is 702-259-0002. But if you have a question right now, you can give us a call at 702-257-5396. We'll be right back on Ask the Experts. Now back to Ask the Experts on News Talk 720 KDWN. Welcome back. If you have a question for Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates, please give us a call at 702-257-5396. Today we're talking about special needs planning. And earlier we had talked about uh, taking care of a special needs child as they reach the age of maturity and throughout their life. And of course, something that's on a lot of people's minds, especially people about my age, is taking care of your parents or older relatives. and you said something while we were off the air. Sixty-five is a magic age, and uh, there's different things. There's every, like you said, the whole equation changes. Then, um, 
what what's different about uh, planning for someone who's about to turn 65 years old? If they they cannot start their own first party trust, the first party trust, as we said before, is a trust that is established with the funds of the special needs individual. Right. You cannot create that for yourself after you turn 65. And and why 65? The only thing that I can think of is that's probably the time when you become eligible for Medicare. Okay. And since you're now going to get Medicare, you don't need, possibly need Medicaid. Mm -hmm. um, however, there are things that Medicaid provides like long-term care, which means 24-7 uh, care in a nursing facility or whatever, you cannot create it after you turn 65. You can create it the day before you turn 65, okay. but not the day of your birthday or thereafter. So, so if you want to if you want to segregate your assets off to a, a a place that it can take care of you without you having to spend it directly out of your bank account. Don't wait till you're 60, 65 years old. Is That's what you're correct. Um, so, you know, I don't want to, I'm sure this is probably the subject for a, a 10 hour show, but as far as the difference between Medicare and Medicaid, uh, what, is there a difference between what they provide? Well, does your, yes. does your care level go down when you go on Medicare? No. I, yes, it does. Okay. <laughs> uh, Medicare is a program and it's an entitlement program that it's like insurance. Mm -hmm. You've been paying for it. We have been paying for it during our lifetimes. Anyone who has has worked for 40 quarters, mm -hmm. 40 quarters is 10 years, then they are covered under the medic, uh, under Medicare. Okay. Uh, and, uh, well, they're paying a Medicare tax. So at some point in time, if they become eligible, then they will receive Medicare. With that insurance... Their children will also receive Medicare in the event that they become uh, incapacitated. Right. I mean, their minor children will get it if the person who is on Medicare uh, is their parent and it, the children are under age eight, uh, 18. Okay. Once they turn 18, if they're disabled at 18, then they will continue to get some Medicare. Now, there's... But this is something we've paid for. Right. This is insurance. And that the program, they've, they've taken some of those uh, uh, Social Security funds and have used it for other governmental benefits and, uh, because government needed that money. And now there, it's real questionable how much money there is and how mm -hmm. long we're going to be able to sustain the program. But notwithstanding, we've paid for the program. It is an entitlement. It is insurance that we have, a, uh, have purchased. Mm -hmm. But the benefits are going down. With Medicaid, Medicaid is a welfare system and it's a do-gooder type of a system. Here are these poor people. We need to do something for them. And so they will get dental and they will get vision care and they will get uh, health and they will get, you know, they can get long-term care that will be taken care of, uh, take care of them. With Social Security, with Medicare, there is no long-term care insurance. None. Hmm. You... Uh, uh, have so many days in a hospital, you have 100 days, let's say, right. and once you use up those days, then you don't even have hospitalization. And now you're expected to pay your own way. With Medicaid, that's not the case. It goes on and on and on. 
So the welfare system actually provides a, a, a great benefit for the indigent people. Let me ask you this. So, you know, my own situation, my parents are in their 70s. I'm in my mid-40s. Um, I could drop dead any time now, honestly. That's, uh, the, but you said something very interesting. The average lifespan is 87 years old. So uh, how, how do I plan to take care of my parents when there's literally no idea to know how long they're going to live if I were to drop dead today? What would be the first step? Well, you should come in. Okay. I invite you to come in. It's a, <laughs> it's a free appointment. If you'd like to come in and talk to Brian A. Lowe and Associates, it's 702-259-0002. What do I do? Well, you may have uh, some funds that you would want to put into uh, some kind of a supplemental needs trust for the benefit of your, your parents in the event they do not have sufficient funding to take care of themselves. Right. And since they're over 65 and if they have a need for long-term care and they don't have sufficient funds to, to fund that, then they become eligible for Medicaid. This is after 65, but they have to spend down everything they have before they are entitled to it. Right. So your little piece of, of the pot could be X number of dollars that's going to come out of your estate mm -hmm. that your estate can, can afford. And you put that into a supplemental needs trust. So in the event your parents ever do need some Medicaid assistance, then there will be this little pot that you've put together to give them assistance. And if they do never need it, that's a third-party trust. Right. When they die, then it will go to your children, your spouse, your siblings, whatever. You can you decide where you want that to go if your parents can't use it. Let me ask you this. So I set up this third-party trust for my parents, for instance. Um, does it just take care of itself or does somebody need to manage that? Do I need to put my sister in charge of it or my or my brother or my whoever? I mean, what what happens? How does it actually, how does it get dispersed and who, who manages that? That is a great question and it all comes down to who's going to be the trustee of that trust. And that can be a difficult thing. You may think your oldest child will be the one that should manage that. Mm -hmm. But they have their own life. They uh, move thousands of miles away from, from your parents. Mm -hmm. They don't have their hand on the pulse of your parents any longer. And they're doing their own thing. So you want to get someone who hopefully will be a trustee that knows how to manage it, knows how to make the right decisions because these special needs trusts and supplemental needs trusts are, are uh, it's, it's statutory. Mm -hmm. And if you violate any of those statutes, you lose the, uh, uh, the, what the trust is trying to do. Right. It becomes an available asset. So they lose their Medicaid there are lots of bad things that can happen if you choose the wrong trustee. Now, there are uh, uh, some of the large banks and trust companies that are learning more and more about uh, these supplemental needs trusts and, and are starting to pick up some of that business. There are uh, independent trustees that, w that are stepping up, and there's some licensure that goes on, and, 
and they will take over and make the right kinds of decisions. So they're a professional who knows what to do. Yes, there are professionals, but oftentimes if there is a good member of the family, you would have them, and if they can't do it, then you generally have someone like a trust protector, and we always try to put trust protectors into our trust because the trust protector is there, has no vested interest, Mm -hmm. but wants to make sure that the provisions of the trust are carried out the way that the trustor has spelled out they want it to go. So if, if the child cannot do it, then the trust protector can, can uh, appoint someone else to step into that position and take over the trust. How easy can you make it for someone to manage the trust? Is it, is it, easy, is it, is it something that you can make so that uh, you're not putting too much of a burden on that sibling or that other child? Well, we try, but uh, notwithstanding, no good deed goes unpunished. Sure. It does take time. It takes effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes uh, uh, someone who is sensitive to the needs of a special needs person that uh, won't give up on them just because it's it's difficult or the special needs person is uh, mean to them. You know, sure. why aren't you doing more for me? Well, <laughs> I'm doing the best I can. Right. Well, it's a complex situation, and these questions can be answered with a free consultation with Brian A. Lowe and Associates. Please give them a call at 702-259-0002, or you can look them up online. I'm sure you'll like what you see at southernnevadalawyers.com. Thanks for coming in, Brian. Thank you, Brian. We'll be back next week with Brian A. Lowe and Associates on Ask the Experts on 720 AM KDWN.